Two weeks ago, we talked about this phrase that is <clears throat> part of our everyday language in Texas, and that's how to address a group of people that you're talking to effectively in Texas. Y'all is a word. It's appropriate, and we've learned that it's scriptural now, uh, because in God's Word, often the collective group is addressed, and it's difficult for us to gather that in English when it just says, you. But in Romans chapter 12, we discuss that when he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies. He says, collective you. In other words, all y'all together as how many living sacrifices? As one living sacrifice. So this is a place in Scripture where we see that a fulfillment, really, of prophecy and of the plan of the Father was that for individuals to find their identity, not individually, but collectively together with a united group. And this picture is painted not just in one particular place, but we find it as a grand story throughout Scripture. And so last time what we did is we tied together Genesis 17, Isaiah 66, and Romans 12, and we showed how there's this flow of expectation throughout Scripture and then a realization in the New Testament writings that we're to be united together as one, Jew and Gentile. The two most opposite groups that you could possibly imagine have been come together as one living sacrifice before the Father. We're going to continue this thought that's discoverable through Scripture by discussing the idea of God dwelling with His people. It's going to be a broad, sweeping message this morning. I'm going to reference some verses, but we're not going to take the time to turn to them. If you're taking notes, I'll try and throw out the accurate address locations for those verses. But in the very beginning of Scripture, we see that Adam and Eve have a very special place where God dwells among them. That's called the Garden of Eden. And really, if you look at the Garden of Eden, it was set up in a temple sort of way. It was the very special place where God's presence dwelt intimately with the people that He had created. And what did Adam and Eve do? Well, very quickly, what? They rebelled and they were cast out of His presence. As you pick up the narrative a few hundred years later, Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 through 9, as God's people flee out of Egypt and now they're introduced into uh, a place that was foreign to them, 
as they were going towards a promised land, God blesses them with a mobile representation of His presence. And what was that called? Do you remember? It wasn't the temple, but it was called the tabernacle. It was a mobile reminder of the dwelling place of God. And so it was to remind God's people that He dwelt with them in a very special way that was unique to all the other nations. Much like Aaron's tent that he set up. Oh wait, Aaron and his... Never mind. But anyways, they would take that tent with them wherever they, they were to travel. And it was a sign that what? God was dwelling among His people. Fast forward a few more hundred years. God's people wanted a permanent structure. And so it was Solomon who was able to build a permanent structure. We'll put permanent in quotation marks. Because Solomon built a temple where God was to what? Dwell among His people. It was not permanent though, was it? Because much like Adam and Eve, much like God's people in the wilderness, God's people did what? They eventually rebelled against God. And in fact, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah specifically says, my presence is going to depart from the temple and it will be destroyed. The whole book of Ezekiel gives the picture of God's presence leaving the temple and then the temple being destroyed so God's people would understand that God's presence wasn't destroyed. Simply the structure that had been built was destroyed. Fast forward a few more years. God's people return. And what's the focus of their return to the land? They want to rebuild what? They want to rebuild the temple. And of course, once they do, they moan and complain that it's not as good as the original. And then Malachi, you can look at Malachi chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, declares to God's people that what they were bringing to that temple were sacrifices that were wounded, sacrifices that were blemished, and they weren't honoring God's presence as they ought to. And Malachi verse 10 of chapter 1 says, there's going to come a day where all the nations will offer appropriate offerings and burnt incense to the Lord, and it will be acceptable. What might Malachi have been talking about? It's almost as if you read through the Old Testament in this way and say, how's God ever going to dwell amongst His people? in an appropriate way. Because every time He does, God's people do what? They rebel. Garden of Eden, tabernacle, first temple, second temple. You open your New Testaments, and what does Matthew quote 
about Jesus? Well, he quotes Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, and he says, And so Emmanuel came to the people. Emmanuel meaning what? God with us. You'd open up John, John 1 and about verse 14 says, And God made His dwelling amongst the people. The same word in Greek that John uses to say, And God made His dwelling amongst His people is related to the word that's used in Exodus chapter 25 when he says, And He made His presence among His people. Quite literally, you could translate John 1.14 when speaking about Jesus, that God tabernacled amongst His people. How was He going to do that? How did He do that according to Matthew and according to John? There was no longer a physical temple. It was going to be in what? Jesus, His Son, was now dwelling amongst the people. That's how God was intending to make His presence known. And you can look at all the different ways that He had done that, and then God's people rejected Him. What do you think God's people are going to do when the temple shows up in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What are they going to do? What they've always done. Reject Him. In fact, Jesus looked at the physical temple in Jerusalem in John chapter 2, and He said, Yep, destroy that temple in three days, and I'll raise it up again. What was He talking about? John even puts it in parentheses for us, so to speak, and says He was talking about His physical body. The point John was making in referencing this quote from Jesus, is that Jesus was saying His body, where the presence of God dwelt, was going to be intentionally destroyed by the very people He came to save, yet He was going to prove victory by resurrecting on the third day and demonstrating that God really dwelt with Him and He was going to change things forever. Because in the sacrifice and then the resurrection of Jesus, the presence of God was going to dwell in His people in a different way than it had ever been done before. How was that? Paul writes to the church in Corinth. You can read it a couple of times in Corinthians. But Paul picks up the temple language and then uses it to encourage the church at Corinth to understand who y'all are. Think about the church in Corinth. You know what half the church was doing there on Saturday night? They were going to the temple on the rock face. It's called the Agora. And they were 
chilling with our old friends up there, participating in the cup of demons. We can go more into that later. And then coming to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ on Sunday morning and saying, what's the big deal? We know that's not real anyways. This is, this is really who we are on Sunday morning. And Paul finds out about it. He's distressed. And he writes to them in a very special way to encourage them to understand their identity. And he says, Don't you yourselves know that you are the what? Temple of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says that, when he says, Don't you know, the New International Version has translated it, Don't you yourselves know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What kind of language is he using? He's using the collective second-person pronoun to say, you all together form what? One temple. Incredibly important for the church in Corinth to understand that what they did individually impacted what? the entirety of their Christian community. That reminds me. <laughs> when you squeal your tires down Golf Course Road, you might think, this just impacts me, right? It's just about me. We were coming home last night, and, and we had a kid in our neighborhood. But we, were, we were walking home from a neighbor's house. He squealed his, corner, his tires around, around the corner and squealed his tires around the next corner. We were about 30 seconds away from walking down that street as a family together. What you do individually impacts a collective group whether you realize it or not. And what Paul is saying, don't you know that you are the what? Singular temple of the Holy Spirit. Where does God dwell today? Do we have to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem? You'd be surprised how many people are really concerned about that today. Do we as God's people have to worship on that side of Hughes Street because that's where God dwells in that building? You know where God dwells? Amongst His collective people. And yes, as we go out in our individual space during the week, we are individually a representation of God. But thanks be to God that I'm not the only one. And thanks be to God that our influence in this community is not just limited to me individually. But it's a matter of the collective whole together. And that's Paul's emphasis when he says, Don't you yourselves know that you are the singular temple of the Holy Spirit? 
It was God's intent from the very beginning to not dwell in a location materially, but amongst a living entity. Us, His people. And collectively, we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where God tabernacles today. Doesn't that just make you feel special? <laughs> that He chose you and us together? It humbles me. I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful that I'm not the only one and that it's just up to me. I'm thankful that it's a collective effort. But it's humbling in the sense that I know that if I do something to misrepresent his reputation in the community, it impacts the greater whole as well. It's humbling. God chose to dwell in his people so that collectively we could be a community, so that his presence could go forth, and so that His presence would be mobile. Think about how good we have it. Just think community, presence, mobility. That's why Paul speaks to the church at Corinth, and he doesn't just do it once. He reminds them on a couple of occasions that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're given impacts the community. What was the temple all about? It was a place where His presence dwelt, and it was a place where people offered what? Sacrifice. So we're to remember that as a community, our, our goal and the way that we shine forth His presence is by offering what? Our bodies as a sacrifice. And so that's what we do to demonstrate to the community that God's presence dwells amongst us. And then... Doesn't it just make sense that when we come together, that we're focused on what? The sacrifice that's been made for us. Because God dwells amongst His people. But what's really fantastic about it is that just like the tabernacle, it's mobile in New Testament time. Old Testament time, it got relegated to a fixed location. I think that's why, and probably for a number of other reasons, but when Jesus died, one of the things that happened was someplace there was a priest in the temple looking up at a curtain that was really tall and incredibly thick, and he probably fell over in shock because that temple... That curtain in the temple separating the holy place and the most holy place was ripped from top to bottom the moment Jesus died. What was that demonstrating? I'm breaking loose. I'm not confined to this space. And that's what we have the privilege and opportunity to demonstrate collectively as God's people. 
We are God's presence, and it's mobile. We take it wherever we go, and that's a privilege that we have. Living collectively, and that's why Paul emphasizes that y'all together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This impacts you if you're a young person. Paul says, take care of what you do with your body. He uses this to talk to the church in Corinth about sexual purity. He talks about uniting their bodies with prostitutes and how that's not just a a sin that somehow is individual, but it's a sin that impacts their relationship with God and has an impact on the community as a whole. He says, take care of what you put in your body. It's about food. He even talks about treatments of what goes into our body and how we take care of it. Because what we've been given, this vessel, is what we use to demonstrate to others how beautiful God is. So he says, take care of the one thing that God has given you to show the world transformation. So it's very practical how we think of ourselves individually as a part of the group. It impacts the whole. Fast forward to Revelation. We must be close to finish because we're in Revelation. You're right. The end of Revelation, there's a picture of heaven. You know what you won't find in the picture of heaven? You won't find a temple. Do you know why? God is dwelling with His people. There's no temple when we get to heaven. You know why? Because finally, we're right there up close with Him as we've always longed for it to be. As the writer John would say, we'll see Jesus as He is, for we will be like Him. One way you can look at the story of Scripture is that God has always had a desire to tabernacle amongst His people. And He makes His dwelling in us today. What an honor it is, and what a privilege we have collectively to share that with our community. I hope this is an encouragement to think about ourselves as one collective temple of the Holy Spirit, as we thought, a couple weeks ago about us as the collective one sacrifice. The message is yours this morning. There's one who's subject to the call of the gospel. We'd encourage you to think about the invitation that Jesus encouraged us to give in Mark 16 and 16. He would say emphatically that those who believe and are baptized will be saved. That's how you become a part of the kingdom of God. That's how God dwells in you. As you are forgiven, you are resurrected into new life, and now God dwells in you, and you are a part of His people.
the kingdom of God, the church. He dwells in you as you dwell amongst His people. And so may we be encouraged in times that we're a little bit isolated to remember that our identity is found in the collective group. We actually live in a society that likes to relegate religion to an individualistic thing. Young people are encouraged to, I hate to use the phrase, but I'm just going to use it. Do you, society says. You ever heard that, Jonathan? They, they say that. It's like, what does that mean? You know what it means? You just be yourself by yourself and you do what you think is best for yourself. Man, that's a miserable way to live if it's just about you and doing you. You know what Scripture says? Us. Do us. Be a part of this. This is where you find your identity. And what a blessing it is to find our identity amongst us, God's people.